Hello and welcome. This is the Grin Podcast, and I'm Hindus and Gupta. Welcome once again to the Grin Podcast. We have a very special guest joining us all the way from Miami today. Uh, his name is Professor Subhash Kak. Professor Subhash Kak, in the world of artificial intelligence and computer science, is a bit of a legend. He is at the moment Regents Professor uh, at the Computer Science Department at Oklahoma State University, Stillwater. But that's just one of the many things that he is. He's of course part of the Indian Prime Minister's Science, Technology, and Innovation Advisory Council. He's written numerous books on uh, really how to connect ancient philosophy and knowledge with the most advanced, cutting-edge sciences. Uh, he's invented, in a sense many scientific procedures in the world of computer science and today he's considered in the world of artificial intelligence and understanding artificial intelligence subhash kak is considered one of the brightest minds in the world we are delighted i am delighted to introduce subhash kak onto the grin podcast thank you very much professor kak for joining us thank you indol uh, delighted to be a part of this conversation I want to begin by asking you, uh, Professor, then, uh, the kind of work that you do is really at the cutting edge of our understanding of the human mind, of artificial intelligence, of what computers can do, and indeed, if one day computers would beat human beings. And I want to begin by asking you, um, there's a lot of people who talk about how the world of artificial intelligence and the world of studying consciousness merge. Do you think one day these two worlds will merge? And if yes, by when? Well, uh, this is uh, a topic on which uh, the scientific opinion is divided. Uh, there are uh, a lot of people who believe that eventually computers uh, will become conscious because they believe that the brain is a computer and consciousness is a specific kind of a computation. Uh, a kind of an emergent property that uh, 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 that derives from the various processes going on in the brain. And there are others who believe that while the brain is a uh, computer, uh, at least when we uh, probe it, but there are certain aspects to it which lie outside of the framework of science as we know it. And therefore, uh, in the opinion of these people, computers will never become conscious or artificial intelligence machines will never be able to attain the same properties of awareness that uh, sentient beings possess. And where do you stand in this divide? Which side <laughs> do you lean towards? Uh, okay, my own uh, position is that uh, machines will not become conscious. And of course, uh, if you ask me why, there are different ways to look at it. One is that uh, um, classical physics is not the deepest uh, physics that there is. And uh, computers or machines are designed based on principles of classical physics or classical mathematics. Now, what is deeper is quantum mechanics and we don't have machines that do quantum mechanics. But even if we had machines that were based on quantum mechanics, there's something more to the framework of quantum mechanics itself because within quantum mechanics, there are objects and there are the observers who interact with objects. And the theory 
does not have any place for observers just as in classical mechanics you know newtonian physics observers are postulated and uh, no explanation is provided as to where they come from you have the same situation in quantum mechanics and um, according to some of the wisest people the guys who created uh, the field consciousness always uh, would lie beyond the framework of mathematics that defines quantum mechanics and since you did uh, uh, mention in the beginning uh, the whole possible connection to ancient uh, indian philosophy or ancient indian wisdom th- this is precisely what the upanishads say that uh, you have uh, the world of objects and then you have the the observing self the observing self can never be reduced to the world of objects and one of the two creators of quantum mechanics the austrian erwin schrodinger himself claimed to have been inspired by the upanishadic great statement or mahavakya which is i am atma brahma that this aham brahmasmi so to speak uh, this is another one aham brahmasmi is one of the mahavakyas another mahavakya is i am atma brahma right. that this atman is the entire cosmos in right. other words one the one is a ref- of the infinity of possibilities and this was the central idea of quantum mechanics which is that same object can have properties which are mutually exclusive that the same shoe in the quantum world will at the same time be black and red and blue or whatever other color you can assign to it and this is something that classical machines uh, do not uh, have the capacity to capture and therefore from this perspective it uh, is clear that machines will remain or will fall short of what nature is and therefore they would not be able to replicate nature entirely fascinating um tell us a little more about what this really means uh, you're essentially saying that knowledge in the ancient indian uh, you know tradition which helps us in a sense or whose reflection today we see or we notice in some of the most cutting edge scientific uh, study of the consciousness that's really happening around the world um is that is that your inference uh, how how do we how can we presume to connect these two very disparate worlds well um, the upanishads which are uh, a kind of a commentary on uh, the vedic uh, uh, wisdom uh, very clearly say that knowledge is of two kinds and they call it uh, apara and para and para is like the word far in english apara meaning not far which is re- related to objects that we see uh, for which uh, language suffices to describe their properties and para is far far implying which is not accessible to associative or linguistic knowledge so what the upanishads say is that language fails when you bring up the whole question of consciousness because consciousness is not a thing consciousness is like the lamp which illuminates things and what the vedas say is that the at the very heart of course they do say that you must do all the associative knowledge etc etc and when you do that you uh, come to paradoxes which in sanskrit the word that is used is paroksha 
um as opposed to pratyaksha pratyaksha meaning which is obvious to the eye to inference and paroksha is which lies beyond inference so what the vedas uh, or the upanishads say is that when you try to uh, use language to speak about consciousness as a phenomenon uh language will come short because consciousness is something fundamentally paradoxical uh and therefore uh, although there is a unity to entire reality but as far as experienced uh, world is concerned there is a duality on the one side is the experiencer or consciousness as a phenomenon on the other side is the embodied world and so you can use uh, laws and uh, to to uh, to to deal with the embodied world in fact uh, in sanskrit the word for this is the word for this is rit like uh, like right uh, r i t e uh, rit means uh, natural law so everything is controlled by natural law and that of course uh, raises the question if everything in the world is according to natural law unfolds according to natural law so where does consciousness come in and uh, that's where uh, there is something absolutely fascinating that the vedic rishis came by and what they said was uh, consciousness uh, is able to control uh, the physical world and consciousness here is called shiva the physical world is called shakti or uh, brahman versus prakriti uh, so by observation alone shiva is able to uh, guide prakriti and this is shown of course most beautifully uh, and uh, in a fashion which can also uh, frighten sometimes in kali puja where kali who represents uh, uh, nature is uh, dancing on the apparently dead body of shiva because and what does it really mean what it means is the more you try to seek shiva the more it recedes from you and the reason is because it is a category which is different from the category of embodied objects so there's absolute incredible stuff out there which of course one could spend hours and hours talking about fascinating uh but before we go further and i want to explore a little bit about examples like kali puja you know because a lot of people i feel don't understand the meaning of some of these uh, so called rituals which uh, people might be doing but what is their inner deeper meaning might escape them i want to come to a, a little earlier point that you made um and you were talking about quantum physics and as you know you know people like carlo rovelli the scientist the italian scientist has been talking about you know how he feels between the string theory uh, and the loop quantum theory uh, loop quantum gravity theory uh, he feels that the loop quantum gravity theory actually even though lesser known in a sense actually perhaps might be you know in a sense the answer and i wonder if you might want to talk a little bit about that and where you stand between these two uh, poles of quantum physics well um in fact i do personally know the uh, 
the creator of uh, or one of the biggest uh, names uh, of loop uh, uh, gravity theory which is abhay who is abhay ashtaker of uh, penn state university and i looked into all of this uh, all such theories are of course uh, representations uh, mathematical represent representations of some ideas and um, these uh, as mathematical representations which could be then expressed in uh, forms which one would uh, be able to call uh, mechanical in some sense in an abstract sense for, uh, still belong to the realm of language and so long as you're talking of language because what is language language is associations between words right you see something and some other thing and you see that they are related in some sense so you are really talking about objects and as long as you're talking of objects uh, consciousness will remain elusive it will remain beyond objects so i don't think any of these theories eventually is going to uh, provide uh, any definitive solution this is you know that there are different flavors of physics uh, if for a few years uh, supersymmetry for some time or string theory of one kind or the other for some time and this fundamentally will fall short and if you were interested in a more mathematical response to your question uh, the response is this uh, all of um, uh, physics is reductionist fundamentally that's right yes you, know, you have course. to reduce uh, phenomena to fields and eventually properties which are associated to objects right however a lot of uh, modern theories of physics are based on the concept of information or entropy right you have for, for example even in black hole physics you have entropy of a uh, black hole um, but entropy is not reducible entropy is a property of ensembles and therefore there is a fundamental uh, um, problem or fundamental um, wall if you will that physics has hit that here you are talking about entropy which is to be related or understood only by observers and then at the same time you are talking about objects which in themselves cannot uh, have uh, a, any sense of uh, what entropy is and so i think just like in 1905 uh, or beginning of the last century um, something very fundamental occurred i think we are at the same uh, stage or a similar stage because here you have dark ma- matter and dark energy which is 95% of uh, of the observed world of of the world and then you have 4.5% of dust and all your physical theories are based on 0.05% uh, or 0.5% and that that doesn't seem uh, correct by any stretch of imagination so i to come back to your uh, question about fascinating Rodelli and others really i don't think it's going to work yeah so tell us professor a lot of people then wonder for all the talk of consciousness what really is consciousness can it ever be quote unquote proved and how can we access this idea of consciousness in a more accessible manner how can we really absorb it in in a manner that you know more people understand it and know what to do with it i think the 
clearest uh, analogies that have been used to speak about consciousness come uh, from vedanta in vedanta you have the idea of uh, the outside sun which shines which can shine in a million different pots of water and you'll see the same orb reflected there in full in its full glory so the whole idea and urban schrodinger in his famous book what is life and which was also very influential uh, in shaping uh, um uh, crick crick's transition from being a physicist to a biologist um you know the the discoverer of dna so schrodinger says that look consciousness ought to be a unity consciousness is not multiple and that's what vedanta says in fact he was quoting vedanta and he does mention it so if you look at that idea and it is difficult to grasp if you look at that idea then what's the difference between you indol and me subhash uh, the difference is that it's the same lamp of yes. awareness that's right which uh, uh, which illuminates both your uh, experience and my experience and the reason why we think we are different is because we associate ourselves with our personal experiences and that becomes some kind of a covering you know just imagine let's say we had a lamp and we uh, put a lot of uh, um, covers around it um, so we are separated from it and then we only see what is outside of us and uh, possibly another way of looking at it is again to go back to old masters and this they say what is mind mind is not a vessel to be filled it's a lamp to be a lamp to be lit and there's That's only right. a single yeah. lamp there are not yeah. many multiple vessels and where uh, western pedagogy and western foundations of uh, modern science have reached a kind of a dead end is in this uh, conception that we are all vessels and if you are all vessels then where does uh this phenomenon of consciousness arise and this is, is a it? very this is a fun- very very interesting point isn't it professor stark because in the con- if you stop thinking that knowledge is really to be put into vessels and we keep filling vessels if you stop thinking that and think of it as a lamp to be lit then it sort of gives you a unified understanding of the universe right i mean then you're not thinking in terms of well you know I am the oil industry so well my job is to sort of create and burn as much fossil fuels as possible and I am the environmental industry so therefore I'll try to protect it and we are two separate things and we are perpetually at loggerheads uh, Absolutely we don't think in the we don't bring these concepts down to everyday uh, understandings like this but it is this isn't it Absolutely so it provides us a more interconnected view of the world but then uh, the skeptic would say well it sounds all right it sounds beautiful but why should i believe it you know what is where is the proof and yes. i think the the matter of proof comes in from the whole process of creativity because creativity is not something inductive or something incremental it appears uh, as if from nowhere right yes and we have examples not only of uh, um, you know people like kekule who discovered the structure of benzene in a dream where he saw these six snakes 
in a ring holding the tail of the next one in its mouth uh, but also most dramatically in the creative uh, work of uh, the great Indian mathematician uh, Srinivas Raman. That's I right. Who believed that the TV was telling him in his dreams what the formula Absolutely. Was. And he could not explain where those formulas came from. And then his uh, notebooks were lost for 50 years because he died uh, long ago. And uh, when his notebooks were uh, found, uh, mathematicians over the last 30 or 40 years have been toiling over these formulas and they're discovering that they are more or less all correct. So where did those formulas come from? And, and, and so I think this is when it comes to creativity, that's when each human being, um, when they let go, so to speak, and find that connection with the very heart of their being, uh, get access to all kinds of amazing gifts and amazing understanding. And that's what uh, consciousness really is. Because most of us, not most of us, all of us in our normal life are uh, working more or less uh, as machines driven by instinct, right? We just see, we observe, we react. And there are certain scripts because we have done things in a particular way when we are growing up or in our past. So that's what we do, not different from animals. So most of our life is animal-like. But from time to time, we awaken, so to speak, and we see something which transforms us. And that's what uh, awakening in the Vedic view was. Uh, that's what uh, Upanayanam, for example, that was a process yeah, where that's you, right. are, you are set or you're put on this path where you can transition and go. And that's what sacrifice really means. Because sacrifice, all of Vedic ritual, uh, since you did ask me that. Yes. Ritual is a symbolic doing away with your past in a drama, you know, sacred theater, which then uh, makes it possible for you to connect to deeper levels, which already exist within you. So it's really a drama to awaken you. And, and, and this, once one looks at that, everything seems to fall together that there is this, there was a certain wisdom uh, which uh, was not just random because there can also be claims that people make um, which are not uh, uh, subject to uh, confirmation by logic and by, by deeper thought or, or deeper intuition. So it, I think it all comes together. So in a wonderful way, the most ancient and the most uh, modern uh, seem to provide uh, illumination to each other. Fascinating. Uh, that brings me to the last bit of the interview where I really want to ask you, Professor Kak. You know, we've spoken for a long time about something called the heart problem of consciousness, right? And you alluded right. to it a little while ago when you said, well, some skeptics may ask, where is the proof, right? And, you know, um, and, and that's what concerns that phrase, the heart problem of consciousness. And I wonder what you think about how close are we and first, if you could explain to us what, in your opinion, is the heart problem of consciousness and how close are we to actually solving it? Well, um, there are two aspects to, um, um, to, to what we do as, uh, um, as conscious um, organisms. One is we do various cognitive acts, right? We see or we listen 
or we do things now these cognitive acts can all be replicated by machines and um, there is no dispute amongst uh, uh, scientists computer scientists and physicists and philosophers and this of course brings up this great uh, challenge that the world is facing right now that if almost uh, all the cognitive tasks are eventually replicated by machines then what would humans be left with you know what would be the meaning of life and so on now that is one side to it you know what we do uh, when we are doing our cognitions the other is the very subjective experiences that we have those subjective experiences let, let's say the experience of uh, the color blue now that is something that is not accessible uh, to um, measurement and that is what the heart problem is you know the subjective aspects of awareness and this is just one way of speaking about uh, um, consciousness which uh, philosophers have found convenient as a starting point to uh, to talk about uh, their ideas so this um, subjective uh, subjectivity associated with consciousness um, since we can't even measure it clearly this will always lie outside of uh, the powers of computers to replicate right and so this is just another way of saying uh, what we already said before that uh, there is uh, the uh, the unexpected element to creativity uh, which once you recount it maybe you can fit it fit it uh, into what was known before but at that moment when things all came together there was no way for one to have uh, using probability arguments explained is as something as the next step you know which emerged um, out of um, the knowledge uh, the the whole body of knowledge that existed before so uh, so to come back uh, the hard problem really to the subjective uh, the phenomenon of consciousness uh, it appears uh, will remain outside of the uh, framework of ordinary science fascinating my last question to you professor kark is what where does all of this really leave us with the concept of god you know because that has been such an abiding concept for most of human history uh but with the advancement of our understanding of consciousness and indeed the revolutionary um, in a sense progress of the research on artificial intelligence what does all of this do to our concept of god and how are we rethinking god in the future well um i did mention a while ago uh, the whole question of how consciousness can guide uh nature right and there is a, a famous result in quantum mechanics in fact uh this was first uh, done by another good friend of mine who just passed last died last year uh the great physicist george sudarshan and this is called the quantum zeno effect uh and in the quantum zeno effect if there is a physical system which is evolving and if you keep on observing it again and again which means that if you if you if you um put your power of observation on it its evolution will freeze or you could even change its evolution in a fashion which was not a part of its own dynamics and it's been um proven or demonstrated in the lab 
it indeed does happen so the more subtle idea of god to come back if consciousness is to be viewed as uh, as as this personification of who we call god and in fact one of the most uh, famous philosophical traditions which are which is a part of the general uh, vedantic tradition is called kashmir shaivism and yes. in kashmir shaivism the very first sutra of the shiva sutra is chaitanyam atma that consciousness is atman and atman of course is brahman that ultimately who god is is uh, the answer to that is in what consciousness is and the rest of rest of uh, rest of it of course is a lot of superstructures because we don't only uh, operate when we are looking at uh, awareness as a very primal category we can also or we do also operate in the world of say ethics in the world of morality in the world of um, what is the larger social good and if shiva is the personification of uh, consciousness vishnu is the personification of the moral law right and and so you you can look at uh, the world uh, across different planes and you can explore it either through morality or through um, through through uh, exploration of consciousness itself or go within your body within the very architecture of your mind which is what is called the shakta tradition which was very which has been a great force in bengal for example that's and right yes. look at it through tantra tantra is the very architecture of your mind that is uh, a, a kind of a more scary uh, process and you find that uh the concept of divinity the concept of god uh, the concept of ishvara and all uh, the deities uh all come together and be- become a consistent whole and in fact i many many years ago about 20 years ago i wrote a book on it called the gods within and i argued how uh some of the more subtle findings of neuroscience are yes. uh, uh have a parallel um and probably represent uh, these deeper uh, spiritual uh, intuitions see for example a person due to a stroke or physical injury uh, can lose the capacity to uh, read um, and that's called alexia but still be able to write is still able to write and that's called alexia without agraphia and the the corresponding parallel within the the spiritual traditions is that all the deities are the various cognitive centers in the architecture in the inner sky of the mind right right and therefore yeah. it all holds together it's not that it's one or the other it's the it's the totality of it all and that's again one of those uh, beautiful tantric tantric traditions uh, uh they they Uh, inner sky in its totality or in as a kula kula meaning totality and that's why you have the you have the name kaul for example it's a kashmiri name right like my right. mother is a kaul yeah. because the the bengali the bihari and the kashmiris were part of the same uh, uh, tantric uh, tradition, tradition with a lot of uh, people going back and forth and personally having done both uh, quantum mechanics and 
um, computer science and philosophy and the ancient texts, I find it all hands, hangs together. It hangs together in a beautiful way. I think the challenge is to be able to communicate it to the larger public because it's non-sectarian, it's universal, it empowers every human being. You know, if we only are able to sort of sense it properly and it, uh, it, it, it's, it's a great force of self-transformation. Fascinating. Professor Kak, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, we'll have to leave it at that. Thank you very much for speaking to us on the Grin podcast. Uh, thanks for your time. It has been wonderful speaking to you. Thank, thank you, Hindol. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Professor Kak. Sure. Bye. Bye.